<laughs> All that free time is kind of wearing you out, isn't it? Catching up from the 3 a.m. wake up, 40, you know, however long ago it was, yesterday. Well, we're going to continue uh, in our study of really what that song proclaimed, right? That we can place our hope and our trust and all of these things, but the only thing that won't fail is Jesus. That's the thesis for this week. Uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 11, and you got the title there for this talk, The World Works, but Jesus Gives Grace. We'll explain what that means over the course of, this, of our time. But let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to skip over to the New Testament. So Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Right off the bat, you'll find it, and you got one, two, three, four, five. You can count up to 11. You should be able to find chapter 11, and then the first eight verses. Actually, we'll read the first nine verses. And then on the, the book in the New Testament is Ephesians. So if you can multitask, you can turn over to Ephesians as well. Find chapter 2. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you find the Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, and then there's Ephesians. Right there, still there. Ephesians 2, verse 8. It's one we read this morning, actually. Nathan read it this morning for us. We're going to return to it. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. But we're going to start with Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So they're building this tower way up. And look at what, look what the Lord does. There's a little bit of humor in this. They're building a tower up to the heavens. What does the Lord do? And the Lord has to come way down. The Lord comes down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they're one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there uh, over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, verse 9, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Okay, so now we'll flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And this is the ending of the reading of God's word. All flesh is like grass. It's glory like the flowers. The grass uh, withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. And that's what we believe. That's why we're putting so much stock in teaching this word, because we believe that it's the one thing that's going to last. And so we, we come to it with that expectation and that trust in it. Okay, so... Um, before we get in, I, I know that you guys have felt this because I felt this before. I, I still feel this. We all feel this. This desire 
that somehow, someway we're on the outside and we want to get on the inside. We want to get, you know, maybe we're like, there's a friend group and we want to be a part of the friend group. But we feel like we're kind of just like on the outside. We want to get in or we want to make the team. And if we could just get on the team, then we would, you know, be happy. Or, or there's a group chat that we know that exists. We've heard about it. People talk about it, but we're not on it. If we could just get on that group chat, then, man, everything, things would be good. Maybe it's auditioning, being on the, on the you know, in the play, or what, whatever it is, this desire that we're, like, on the outside and we want to get on the inside. And here's the thing. It's with us from the very beginning. Have you ever um, seen, like, a little baby? Maybe, maybe, or maybe not a baby. Maybe let's say a to- toddler, two-year-old. I know you've seen a baby. But the, to- the toddler now has a new sibling, a baby that just came into the house. Have you ever seen what happens sometimes when the mom picks up the new baby and holds the baby? And what does the toddler do? <laughs> the toddler may drop it. But when the mom's holding the baby, the toddler sometimes, I've seen this, will cry out of jealousy. The toddler wants in on the action. On the, it wants to be on the... See, this, this, this sticks with you the rest of your life, just so you know, this desire to kind of be on the inside. C.S. Lewis called it the inner ring. He said, we all want to be on the inner ring. We all experience it's this, it's this desire to be on the inside of the friend group or on the, on the team or whatever it is. We want to be on it. And he says, listen to what he says. The inner ring gives us a delicious sense of secret intimacy. And we want it. It's what drives us. It's a chief motive, he calls it. For all human beings, we want, to be on the, we want to be on the inside, on the inner ring. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you've had this experience. You want to be on the group chat. And you get in on the group chat. And all of a sudden, it's not quite as exciting as it seemed from the outside. Listen to what Lewis says. The circle... The inner circle, the inner ring, it doesn't have the same charm on the inside that it had from the outside. The rainbow's end will still be ahead of you. You may get in on that little inner circle, that group chat, and then you realize, oh my gosh, there's three people in this group chat that have a chat themselves. And now you feel like you're, there's, another, there's another ring inside that ring. And listen to what he says. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. The old ring, the, the ring that you're now in, the old one, will now only be the drab background for your endeavor into the new ring. Because there's another ring on the inside. And so here's how this works. I love that. The old ring will be the drab background for the, uh, for the new, in anticipation of the new ring. So you get in, you're on the outside of whatever it is, the sports team, the group chat, the friends, the family, the, whatever it may be, and you get on, and then you realize there's like another little ring that you have to get into. There's another ring that exists. And then you want to get in, and this becomes boring and old, and you keep going, keep going. And I said this sticks with us our whole lives. And this is, there's something really profound here. This is actually, here's the thing. There's two problems with this. First, the goal is bad. The goal is to get some created thing to be kind of a source of, of identity and, and value. 
Uh, maybe it's friends. They're all, they're all part of creation, friends. Uh, maybe it's a sports team that's part of creation. Maybe it's a music group, band, right? It's all a created, the, the goal is a created thing. And the means to get into on the sports team or on the music band or, or, or in the band or uh, with the friend group or on the group chat is through uh, your work, right? I mean, you, 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 if you're winsome, if you can make funny jokes, if you can kind of, you know, ah, with your friends, joke around, they might let you in. That's how it works. If you can do well enough athletically, you can get on sports team. If you can do well intellectually or musically or thespianly, you can get on the drama team or the music or whatever it is. It, 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 it works off of um, our works. Okay? Now, let me tell you, this is actually what we're after. We're after an, we want to be on the, the real inner ring. The capital I, capital R, inner ring. It's, this, is, this is all review, by the way. I'm just reviewing. But I'm, I'm trying to hit it from a different angle, see if it, it maybe sticks a little differently. This is, hey, remember, remember yesterday? God. Okay, oh, that's a horrible G. We want to be in God. But what's the inner ring? You know what it is? What is God? God is a triune God. Uh, and Christianity is unique in this regard. We believe that God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And that for all eternity, what is God doing? Why did he create the world? Why, why do we even exist? Was, was he bored? No, what, what God has been doing from all eternity. This is kind of a mind blow, so brace yourselves. He has been living a perfectly satisfied life in the happy land of the Trinity. As the, as the Father delights in the Son, and the Son delights to serve the Father, and the Spirit is serving the Father, serving the Son, and they're all working together, and, and there's full delight. It's all love and perfection and bliss in the happy land of the Trinity. And creation is just a spillover of God's love and joy. That's what happened. And see, here's the thing. We were in fellowship with this God, and when we, when we fell, we got outside of fellowship with this God. And what we said yesterday is that Jesus and the cross gets us back into fellowship with this God. It gets us back into the dance of the Trinity. Okay, so that's all, that's all um, review. Now, here's, here's the focus, though, for today. The world works, and Jesus gives grace. If the goal here is some created thing, if I could just get some created thing, then I could kind of be satisfied and happy and all the things that I want. And the way that I get it is through works. Here the goal, in Christianity, the goal is God. And the means, again, what is the means? It's in the title. Starts with a G. Yep. The means is grace. And so that's what we're going to look at today, right now. Um, Oh, let me say this too. If you want, you can write that down if you want, but um, look at that. I'm ready, prepared. Review again, right? The kingdom of darkness, this is the world and its ways. And remember, the people are walking in darkness. And then there's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God at this point is not fully here. It's been, it's, 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 it's landed on earth, but it's, 
It's being colonized. And eventually the Spirit will take it and just make it full-blown. All the earth is the kingdom of God. But until then, we've got like little lamps, little light pockets in the church. It's the church is that. And, but we're, we're located in, and still in the kingdom of darkness. Okay, so, and somebody asked me yesterday, how do I get in? How do I get into the kingdom of light? How do I get into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? That's the answer. That's what we're going to talk about today. That question, how do I get in? How do I make sure I'm not here and I'm here? Okay, so that's kind of, that's the topic. So let's look at Babel quickly. Um, Genesis 11, the people, they want to build a tower. Now, they want it to reach all the way to the heavens. And what's the problem? What are they after? There's really kind of two things that they're after. Verse 4. Do you see what they want to make for themselves? A name. That's one of the things. They, it's driven in part by pride. They want to make a name for themselves. I think there's also a desire for security. They want to bring humanity together, build up a fortress, a tower that can help protect them against the world. And how are they going to do it? Well, verse 3, they use a technology, actually. It's, it's at this point in the world, you see all these towers start to pop up called ziggurats. That's what they're called. They look like a wedding cake. If you've ever seen like a stacked wedding cake, I'll show you. You know, like this. That's what the tower looked like, and it just kept going. So they build one of these, and they've got this new technology. So they're using, I mean, think about, have you ever seen somebody build something? We live in a house or a neighborhood where they're, where they're still building some houses, and so you're watching these things go up, and, you know, you watch them in the 100-degree heat. It's a lot of work to build a house, isn't it? It's a lot of work. Now, imagine we're doing that, only it's a tower that's trying to reach to the heavens, and let's go back like, you know, thousands of years or whatever. And there's no, there's no John Deere yellow vehicles out there, machines. You're just doing, it's, it's muscle. There's architects, they're designing and planning. So there's, there's human organization, there's a, there's a constructing, uh, a, a manager, project manager that's orchestrating. And all of these people are exerting all kinds of energy to get this thing up. They're, they're using their, their muscle, they're using technology, they're using organization, their, their, their drawing skills, all of that, it's through works, right? And it's all done apart from God. It's all done apart from God. Okay, um, and the Lord, it says, comes down and confuses their language and scatters the project. He ends it. Can you imagine being in that moment where you're working with somebody and all of a sudden they're speaking gibberish and they don't understand you, you don't understand them. It's just mass confusion. That's what happens. That's what happens when we live our lives like apart from God. It brings confusion into our lives. Chaos. That's what happened there. But here's what I want you to notice. This is, this is the last story before chapter 12 of Genesis where God makes this actually, it's really interesting. He tells Abraham, I'm, he says, go. The people in Babel said, come, come. He says, go from your home. Go to the land that I will show you. 
and I will make a name for you. And I will make you great, a great nation, just like the people at Babel wanted. I will be your protector. I will be a blessing to you. He's give, God is giving all Abraham, he's promising Abraham the very things that the people of Babel wanted. But he says, I'm going to do it. And then he gives this vision, we're moving very quickly. He gives this vision in chapter 15. He, he enters into a really, this is a really important word. He enters into a covenant. We like to call it a covenant of grace with Abraham. And back in this day, when you would make a covenant, you would, um, you know, uh, you'd make some kind of, there would be, a, what do you call it? I can't even think of what you call it. A ceremony in order to make it happen. Like a marriage. You know, when you, you're covenant together in marriage, there's a ceremony to accompany that. So when two parties in the ancient world, like if they came together and they said, we want to make a deal, they would come together and they would have what's called, this, this, is, this is interesting, a blood path ceremony. Have you heard of that? Okay, that's actually quite a few shaking their heads. Okay, so basically what they do, and God tells, tells Abraham to do this, is to rip animals apart. Severe. And create a, a path, a pathway where the half of the animals on one side, the other half's on the other, and the, the blood of the animals pours to the middle. So they're walking through this blood path. And each member in that's making this covenant will walk through the path to, as, as though to say, if I fail my end of the covenant, my end of the promise, my destiny is the same as these animals. And then the other party would walk through the blood path. If I fail my end of the Bargain, my destiny is the same as these animals. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on. And then guess what happens? Abraham falls asleep and he has this vision. And there's this smoking pot that makes its way through the blood path. But guess what? Abraham doesn't do it. He doesn't go through the blood path. And what is God saying? Abraham, whether you fulfill your end of the covenant or not, I am going to make sure this pro- these covenant promises happen. I'm going to fulfill my, I am going to be faithful. Despite the fact that, that you might not be faithful. So you see the significance of it. And so fast forward, Christ literally says, you've failed. The world has failed at keeping a relationship with God. The, the Jews have failed at, at the covenant, at keeping the covenant. And what does Jesus do on the cross? He does what God anticipated back in the blood path ceremony. He takes the curse of failure for the covenant so that we might have life and get all the blessings of the covenant. And that's what the cross is. And, but here's the thing. This, remember what Ephesians 2 says. How does the cross come at us? So think about the cross. It's the work of another. It's the work of God, uh, Jesus. And how does it come at us? I like the way... Um, Ephesians 2, 8 puts it. We just read it this morning. By grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Now, there's the cross and grace. Ephesians 2, 8 says, I mean, it's all over the the Bible, but that's the passage we're kind of focusing on. Um, So here's the question. How how do you get along in the kingdom of darkness and in the the world? Via 
um, works, variety of works. How do you get along in the kingdom of Christ? It's via grace, okay? And I want you to think, Babel really is, if you think, Bonhoeffer said this, Babel is the, it's like, it's like the symbol of how the world operates. That this tower, this like captures the whole world's MO, how the world makes it through, the, through life. And the cross, of course, is the answer to Babel. Okay, so that's, so that's the lead up. Now what I want to do is explain what, what exactly grace is. It's a word we keep talking about. It's a word we've de- defined. I, I like to define it as undeserved favor, gift. That actual word is in there, Ephesians. So I want us to consider like, what, grace di- what grace is. Is grace like a little dust that God kind of sprinkles on his people? You've got grace now. Go get them. Uh, no, it's not that. It's God's disposition to a people. It's, it's kind. I mean, you've experienced grace in another. Maybe it was a parent, family member, sibling. It's a kindly disposition of God. It's just it's who he is. It's not like a, it's not like a material thing. Now, how does grace how do we receive grace? Well, again, Ephesians 2, 8, it's a gift of God. It's a gift. How do you receive a gift? Martin Luther, in, uh, he, he talks about uh, how, how do we receive our righteousness from God? How are we made right with God? And he says, you could think about it. Um, the way that we receive it is like the, earth, the way the earth receives the rain. You know, what does the rain do to receive the earth? Does, it, does the grass yell out, help? You know, we're, we, we're dying down here. We need, we need your moisture. We need rain. Do they hold up signs? Please feed me. No, they don't. They just, it just sits there and it just receives And so it is with God's grace. We just receive it, is what Luther said. Here's another example. If you think about marriage, um, when a person gets married, they inherit uh, each other's, really everything, lives. Um, If if a person marries um, an impoverished kind of not a great person, not a great reputation. They're not, you're surprised they're even getting married. You, you do that. You, they have no money. They have lots of shame in their life, lots of problems, lots of difficulty. When, 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 and then another person, Martin Luther says, and then let's imagine like a king marries somebody that's in that state. All of a sudden, the king has inherited the, the shame that existed in that person, the poverty that that person had. And guess what the impoverished person inherited? Everything the king has. It's theirs now. He says, this is what's happened for the Christian. Christ, our husband, uh, the groomsman, has married his church, the bride, the bride of Christ. And he gets all of our sin, all of our weakness, all of our brokenness, and he takes it upon himself, and we get everything that he has, everything that the king has. That's how grace happens. Or if you like, here's another example. How does the scripture talk about what happens when a person becomes a believer? The scripture says they're born again. Think about that. 
analogy, that image. What did you do to be born? Did you put in a request with your mom and dad? Please, I want life. No, it just happened. Quite apart from any, apart from your will, you had nothing to do with that. And that's, that's how you, that's how every human being on here. Life is a gift. It comes apart from anything we do. So it is with spiritual life. It's a, it's a gift of God. It's something that God initiates in us by his will. He makes happen. And this is just stunning, this grace. I'm trying to, I, I, maybe some of you were um, at church on Sunday, but we talked about this, this lady who had been, um, there were some racial issues in South Africa for a long time, and the white people were not treating the black people kindly, and there was all sorts of struggle, and, and the, the, the wall that existed between the races in South Africa was brought down in the, I believe, in the ni- late 1980s. And in the 90s, they were trying to repair the relationships and the damage that was done. And so a priest named Desmond Tutu said, we're going to have, yeah, Desmond Tutu, that's his name. Um, he said, we're going to have people that wronged others come together in a courtroom, and we're going to have a confession where they confess what they did. There won't be any charges, no sentencing. And one man was, who did horrible things. He, he killed a son of a, of a lady. He murdered her husband late, years later. And um, she's hearing all of this, and they, the, the, the judge asks, the lady who's been widowed, lost her only son, what, what, what would you have this, this man, Mr. Vanderbrock is his name, what would you have him do? And she said, I want him to go to the place where he burned my husband, pick up the, the dust, and bury him, because he never received a proper burial. And the, Mr. Vanderbrock's head was hung low, and he shook his head in agreement that he would do that, just kind of overwhelmed by the shame. And then, and then the lady gets up. This is an elderly lady. She gets up, and she says, I lost all my family. I've got a lot of love to give, and I would like to extend love to you. I want you to come to my house twice a month so that I can share a meal with you, love you, and, and, and let you know that God's forgiveness is real. And she, starts, she gets up in the courtroom. She starts walking towards him. She says, just to let you know that this is real, I, I want to hug Mr. Vanderbrock. And the whole, the whole, the whole courtroom, the, the courtroom, not a church, the courtroom starts singing Amazing Grace just spontaneously. She starts walking towards him. And you, you know what, Mr. Mr. Vanderbrox, he's a big policeman, you know, kind of gruff guy, I'm sure. He's standing there, he's trembling, and he passes out. The little old lady coming towards him in love and grace knocks him, knocks him out. That's what grace does. The, Actually, that story is the gospel. We killed God's one and only son. We put him on a cross. We ignored the father. We might as well have burned the father in our rebellion against him. But God keeps coming at us. He keeps coming at us. So that's what grace is. Okay. Now, I want, to, I want us to think now about some implications of how grace operates in our lives. Um, 
does grace mean? Well, here, here's what Paul says. This, is a, this, this, this faith of yours, if you just say, Jesus, I need you, I want you, I want you to forgive my sins, and I want to follow you, you're in. You're in. That's it. Now, that's hard to believe, isn't it? But it's true. It's so hard to believe that what Paul says as he's explaining this, he says, he, he comes to this question. Well, should we just keep on sinning so that grace can increase? Like, do we just kind of sit back and like follow the passions of the faith? And he says, no way. You don't get grace if that's what you're thinking. If you just keep on sinning because like God's going to keep forgiving grace, he will, but you've not, you're, you're showing that you're not, you're not getting it. You don't get the grace. His grace and his mercy keeps coming at you. But if a person is nonchalant about the grace, and is like, eh, I don't need to live a, a, a faithful life. See, grace is so profound that it, it sparks in us a gratitude that drives our energies. Because it would be very easy to look at, look at it this way. Oh, okay, so if it's all about grace and it's not about works, then I can just sort of poop out on life and just sit and, and just receive grace, right? But that's not it at all. The, the grace of God produces a gratitude that becomes a new engine for our activity in the world. And, 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 and actually, if you look at the history of the church, it's actually a pretty strong engine. It's the Holy Spirit that's working in us to do good works. That's what happens. And so whether it's not now all of a sudden, we're, we're, play, we're, we're trying out for the basketball team or whatever it is, not in order to validate our existence on planet Earth, but secure that we are validated. And so we dry, we work hard and we do the workouts and we want to give glory to God through those things. But we also are secure in the fact that our, our identity doesn't really hinge on whether we make the, we may make the, we may, we may not make the team. But guess what? We're still loved by God. We're not shaken by that. It, it, it bothers us a bit, but it doesn't crush us. See, this grace of God secures you in the world, and it makes you um, confident as you face all the world's difficulties. As you fa- the things that make you anxious in this world, if you're secure in Christ, you, you have a confidence that God is, is with you. He cares for you. He gave his, you his only son. How much more is he going to carry you through this little pickle or dilemma or whatever that you're in, Right? But on the other side, so it keeps us strong, bold, courageous. But at the same time, it keeps us humble too, right? Because yes, we're loved by God and cared by God. But we also remember that it's grace that we've been saved. It's not because we were special or that we had anything sort of that separated us from anything else. It was sheer grace that came at us. And that, that, that has a humbling effect on the heart. And so that we're able to uh, maintain humility with others. When I was in, um, I just maybe give you an example of how this works. Maybe two, I, I got two examples for you. We'll, we'll see how this works. Uh, the first example is, um, 
When I was in college, I went to go wakeboard. And I was not a lake person at all, and so this was a very uh, big venture for me. And uh, did not do it. It was just like a total fail, you know. And, you, you know, you, you get in there and you're, you're, you're thinking, I'm going to, like, I'm just going to muscle this thing. I'm going to do this and I'm going to pop up and, but, and try and try and try and fail and fail and fail. So then fast forward like 20 years, 17 years, I think it was, and on a boat again. And now I've got another opportunity to wakeboard. And I'm kind of like, eh, I couldn't do it back when I was like in shape. What were the shot? What's the chances I can do it now? And the person said, "Just let the boat do the work. Just lean back. Let the boat do the work. Don't try. Don't overdo it." Just and so I did that, and boop, popped right up, and there we go. Off, off we go, and was able to wakeboard. Now, as as I reflect on that, that is a lot what Christian, the Christian life is like. We're leaning. When you're on a wakeboard, you're leaning into the power of the boat, right? The engine. When you're living life as a Christian in the kingdom of God, you're leaning into a power that is not your own. The Holy Spirit work in your life. Now, are you, are you working? Yeah, you're working. If you've wakeboarded, you're working. I mean, the next, the next day, my, my muscles and, you know, it's sore, tired. And that's how it is. You, you're working, but you're, at the same time, you're leaning into a power that's beyond you. And so it is with the Christian life. And actually, it's not beyond you. It's within you, this power of the Spirit. Let me give you one more example of how this plays out. How this makes us, I think, gracious people. When I, I taught at um, Oklahoma Baptist for a little while, and there was a student there, a big baseball player from the Bronx, kind of tough guy, Italian-American, big, real tall guy. And we, he, was not from, he was obviously not from our area. He was just there for baseball, and um, he, we were taking the test. And um, he was doing something kind of funny as we were taking the test. It was just pretty clear that something fishy was going on. And, you know, as you guys are students, you kind of just FYI little thing. The te- well, I'm seeing a lot right now. Now, you kind of ignore things, but you kind of think that you're almost anonymous out there, but we see things. So I'm seeing him do something weird. So I walk over. This is during an exam, so everybody's quiet. I walk over, and I look at him, and he's kind of like getting all nervous. And I look at his hand, and he has like all the lists typed or written on his hand in red ink. Um, and I like to say he was caught red-handed. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, that's bad. He was caught red-handed, right? And so he's, he's, he's all just, you know, he's just kind of shaken up by this. And we go out into the hall and we talk to him. I was like, this is a really big deal because to, to cheat on an exam, I mean, in college, you could, you could get kicked out of school for that. You could, um, you could definitely, most likely probably fail the class, definitely fail the exam. So there's like a range of responses that could happen. So he and I meet later with another, the dean of the, the school, and we talk about it. And the dean and I decided to extend grace to him. And we did. And this past, so this was like, this was 2008 is when this happened. So just a couple of months ago, he sent me an email. And he said, hey, I I just wanted to let you know that I'm really thankful for how you handled that 
situation because he had, he had been, I think he had been like kicked out of a school. It was kind of on like his last straw. And that was a pivot point in his whole life, he said, that moment. Because he experienced, he experienced this grace. This is what he said to me. I experienced this grace and it has made me want to extend grace to others. And he's a lawyer now, back in the East Coast. And what he does now, he says, because of this, this is what he's saying in the email. Now I seek to, def- to help uh, provide pardons for the state, for the state of whatever state he's working in. He's providing pardons. He's extending grace to others. Now, that's how grace works. It, it gets in our hearts and it has this power of just transforming us. That's what, that's what the Christian message is. That's how we both get into the kingdom of God by grace, gift of God, but it's also how we're sustained, grow, and it's what takes us all the way home. So when this becomes all light, right, all the kingdom of God. Let's, let's pray as we uh, conclude. Father, we give you thanks for your grace to us. These things are, I feel as though language comes up short when speaking of these matters. And so I ask that your spirit would uh, communicate these truths to our hearts, that you would get the power of your grace inside of us and work on us this week. Change us. Make us more into the image of Christ. Make us more... uh, enamored by your kingdom and more fruitful in the service of it. We pray for blessings as we gather in in small groups. We pray that that would be a fruitful time. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.